When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Franny Benali, and you're listening to In That Number. And then they lift one over the top for Danny Ings. He's in the box. Oh, onto his left foot. Brilliant. Oh, it's a Thanks for checking out In That Number with me, Kevin, the Moscow Mush Milverton, and Ray Hunt. Find me on Twitter at Moscow Mush and my co-host Ray Hunt at Ray Hunt 84 Follow the show at Number Podcasts on Twitter, In That Number Podcasts on Instagram and Facebook. If you've got any questions for the show, if you can be bothered, send us an email to inthatnumberpodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Share, subscribe, and give us good vibes. Let's go. Welcome to a very, 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 very special episode of In That Number. Quite a lot of varies there, I know. Uh, episode 109. Kevin, what are we calling this episode? 12 Years a Saint. 12 Years a Saint, yes. Um, if you haven't worked it out already, we have a real treat for you. We have Klaus Lundekvam coming on the show to chat his career. His life uh, before and after football. Yeah, and, and yeah. the usual nonsense. Yeah, Kev. I mean, are you excited for this? Yeah, I'm. I'm excited, nervous, and slightly aroused as well. <laughs> slightly aroused. <laughs> yeah. Have you been brushing up on your Norwegian? Um, <laughs> not that I had any in the first place, but yes. <laughs> oh, you have. You, you've uh, you, you've been learning some Norwegian then. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll try and knock something out. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm expecting to fail miserably, so you can look forward to that. Well, that, that's. 
you know, it's like me trying with the Russian. So it's a very, very hard language, isn't it? All Scandinavian languages are very, very difficult. Um, right, shall we head to the interview? Yeah, let's get him on. Let's do it. Hi, I'm Matt Letitia, and thank you for listening to In That Number. Uh, we'd like to welcome our extra special guest now. Uh, over the course of the two plus years of the show, we've been privileged to have some fantastic guests ranging from athletic writers like Carl Anker and Saints podcasting royalty like Matt Markstone, John Bailey and of course Ben Stanfield. But I think I can say without any fear of contradiction that this is the best yet and I'm sure all of you will agree. We have a club legend, a hero, a man who amassed over 400 appearances, a former captain, a mainstay in the heart of our defence, 12 years spanning over the Dale and St Mary's with 14 different managers. It is our pleasure to introduce the one and only Klaus Lundigvarm. Welcome, Klaus, and yeah, thank you so much for your time and giving us this opportunity to chat with you today. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's a huge pleasure to uh, to join you on your show, and uh, yeah, what what an introduction. Uh, <laughs> you earned it. Very, thanks very much. Yeah, that, I uh, I look back at so many fantastic years at Southampton. That, yeah, it's been. Uh, it's been a fairy tale, and uh, the 14 years I lived over there was a huge part of my life. So, um, yeah, I look back with uh, so many uh, fun memories. I'm, I'm going to try and uh, greet you in, in Norwegian. So, goddag og velkommen til for podcast and Klaus. Tusen, uh, tusen takk. Jeg har det veldig bra. That's very good. That's very good. <laughs> well, well done, Kev. I'm not going to try that. Tak. <laughs> Tuck, I can do that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I'm so nervous. You know, this is a, a huge honour for both of us, as I said before. But yeah, I feel like we should be calling you Mr. Lundigvarm because we're not no, quite worthy no, of no. a first name basis. Saint Klaus. Saint Klaus. Saint Klaus. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm uh, I'm uh, as deadly and as uh, uh, humble and uh, as I uh, always been. So uh, nothing to be nervous about, uh, Ray, at all. <laughs> okay. Uh, Firstly, uh, in the age of coronavirus, how are you and your family coping with things? We are doing uh, pretty good, uh, considering obviously the country is, is struggling, as most countries are. But being a, being a small country, being a wealthy, rich country, we are coping uh, pretty well. Obviously, having quite regulation in place, we... Uh, we don't have much uh, virus spreading at the moment, but saying that, obviously, um, it's still places we are in more or less in lockdown, mostly on the East Coast. I live in Bergen, the second largest city in Norway, on the West Coast. So um, mm. it's not too bad, but saying that we are, yeah, this, this is really, really sad to uh, to watch uh, so many people are struggling, so many people are isolated and uh, lonely at the moment. And um, especially with the work I'm doing today in, in the psychiatry addiction field, we uh, we see so many people now is, uh, is having a very horrid and, and difficult time. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, well, the UK itself is, is like deep in the middle of lockdown number three. And Kevin, Russia, it's kind of relaxed over there somewhat, so, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit more relaxed now. I mean, we did have a really heavy lockdown in the spring, but it's uh, been kind of scaled back since. And we can do almost what we want as long as you wear a mask. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, uh, yeah, I understand in the UK it's uh, it's quite strict and uh, it's quite difficult at the moment. I understand over there. Sure is, yeah. Um, but how have you spent the lockdown? Well, I've been working sort of uh, most of the time, but in uh, a reduced uh, sort of. I have been working full time, but I've got quite a few engagements in in my work that I um, I've been catching up on on sort of other things in. Uh, and I'm and an ambassador for uh, mental health Norway, so I've been doing some oh, wow. promo- some promoting of. Uh, uh, for them, uh, also I've been quite busy, uh, speaking to my beloved club Southampton about, about these issues because they have been launching, uh, mental health and well-being strategy now, which I'm gonna be a part of. Oh, incredible. Which is something that I'm really, really excited about. Even though the, uh, it's difficult and most of the sort of shops and normal places is shut down I've, I've sort of uh, managed to uh, occupy myself with uh, with a bit of work but it's it's not like it used to be because I'm, I like to meet people face to face and uh, sure. and uh, yeah so it's not the same unfortunately things are on the up though, yeah. Yeah. going in the right direction at the moment well uh, yeah we are hopefully now the, the vaccine will obviously uh, take its toll uh, eventually and uh, we uh, we get back to normal eventually. It will be uh, be great. So, if we start off just uh, talking about your life, maybe where it all began. So you you were born in Austerwald. That's that's in Vestland near near Bergen. I mean, what what is, what is life like that in that part of the world? It's a fishing village, really. Small uh, uh, cluster of island, southwest of Bergen. Sort of a special this time of the year. Winter time is quite remote. It's wild, so sort of the, uh, the scenery is, is quite wild. But it's uh, it's brought me also a very uh, safe upbringing, free, and so sort of my my childhood growing up on a small small island small community everybody knows everyone has been uh, has been wonderful really so i'm i'm traveling back there quite often now because i'm i'm doing uh, i'm working a little bit out there as well so um it's um it's a special place for me really thinking about my childhood and uh where it all started where i sort of uh, my footballing uh adventure into uh to the premier league and everything i i achieved was football like the most popular thing to do uh, back then or is it not really a f- footballing place uh it certainly is a footballing place uh the whole uh, the whole of the country i would say is a footballing place and i think growing up following the english football was it's always been big in norway uh and in scandinavia in general so uh I grew up as a Liverpool supporter. My grandmother is, uh, is born and raised in Liverpool. So Liverpool was my team when I grew up, obviously, before I came uh, uh, a Southampton player. So, uh, but English, yeah, English football is, uh, is big in Norway. And I was uh, obviously uh, looking at the English, uh, we call it Tippeliga, uh, or the uh, sort of every Saturday we watch the live English game and then the, uh, all the results came in. It was sort of a, yeah, always been a childhood dream to uh, to play in the, the most exciting and, and best, probably the best league in the world. And all of a sudden I was there. Yeah, I think um, I remember hearing you on Saints FC podcast and like the first time that you 
you went to Anfield and then you you touched the this is Anfield sign and yeah that's <laughs> right <laughs> and then the uh, the kit man behind me he just said what the hell are you doing Klaus <laughs> excellent um, yeah. what, was, do you remember the first match you went to when you were small yeah I, I, obviously I followed um, Brand Bergen who was my, my team uh, which I played for for six years before I was brought to uh, brought to Southampton so that was that was sort of a, I wouldn't say huge step but it's a, it's a big uh, a big step coming from a sort of a little fishing fishing island to come to Bergen and uh, and go into their sort of academy at the time um and where I spent uh, six years, three years as a, as a scholar and um, and then three years in the first team before I then uh, obviously uh, uh, got brought to uh, to the Premier League. So you, you grew up a, a Liverpool fan and I hear your, your childhood hero was Diego Maradona. That's correct, yeah. He's, yeah, recently passed away, uh, unfortunately. That was... Um, Sad, of course. Very sad, yeah. Um, but yeah, bearing all that in mind, how did you end up playing centre half? I mean, did we, did you get put there, or was it just the particular skill set you had that? No, you towards that I, I always, I always were uh, an offensive midfielder or a striker when I grew up. Believe it or not, uh, my goal-scoring record in uh, obviously the Premier League is, is <laughs> prolific. Is, it's shocking, <laughs> but but obviously, believe me or not, I uh, I scored a lot of goals when I grew up, and I I was uh, very offensive in all the uh, all the teams I played in uh, until I came to Brandenburgen when I was sort of uh, seventeen, eighteen. But I was a trainer, uh, a coach who came back from Holland named Halva Torresen, who actually uh, asked me one day if I if I fancied playing a centre half because I had the he was sort of, I wouldn't say a revolution, but he came back from European football and uh, wanted, a, wanted a centre-half who could play, if you know what I mean, who could, uh, techni- technically was good and sort of had uh, speed and, uh, and courage to take the ball forward. And uh, that was probably the main reason that uh, Southampton and Graham Sooners bought me, because I had those skills. Modern centre-half. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, first nicknames I got at Southampton that was Silky because I had uh, I had some Silky skills, and I uh, <laughs> I think I uh, I think most of uh, uh, most of the supporters and my fans was a bit, <laughs> especially in the first years, was quite afraid every every time I uh, was storming forward with the ball. But uh, <laughs> I think I uh, I created a lot as well. Doing uh, doing so and uh, having the ability to do so. I mean, you had a, a meteoric rise in those few seasons at uh, at Brand. You got to the final of the 1995 um, Norwegian Cup. Yeah, and that's right. Qualifying for Europe as well by doing that and uh, just about staying up at the same time in the league. Um, that must have prepared you well for your time <laughs> at Southampton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was a difficult season. Uh, I remember, uh, but obviously, um, be involved in a an effort, like a, a cup final in in Norway was something special. 
uh, it was actually being played tw- twice because of a sending off. Quite, quite unusual. Hmm. But we uh, we lost it uh, anyhow. Obviously, being involved in the, in the biggest uh, sort of cup competition and the FA Cup, uh, what that means to English football, being involved in that in England as well was one of my highlights of of my career. The, an unbelievable uh, moment to be involved in. But saying that, preparing me to uh, to come to England there. Uh, Nothing could have prepared me, I think. I I was sort of a bit naive and obviously, uh, I wouldn't say having a jolly up, but I was, yeah, I was cruising as a centre-half, uh, I felt, in the home, in the domestic league here. Yeah. Uh, because I was quick and I had good technique and I, uh, I, uh, I felt I had always good time on the ball. Uh, but what... Uh, hit me when I came to uh, came to the Dell, came to Southampton, and uh, I came. Yeah, I can't remember which day it was. It was Tuesday or Wednesday, and I made my debut against Forest at home at the Dell on the Saturday. And uh, after sort of 20 minutes, I uh, seriously uh, said to myself, "How the hell am I going to cope with this?" Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you got a bit of preparation. Didn't you come up against uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in those last couple of seasons at Brann? Yeah, yeah, he was a handful. And obviously, Tor Andre Flo was a handful. So we had some good uh, good players in the uh, in the Norwegian league at the time, uh, who who most of them actually became Premier League players in the years to come. So, uh, it's the Norwegian class of 96. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So you, you you signed for Saints in the autumn of 1996, as you said, by Graham Souness for 400,000 pounds. What a bargain! I mean, oh, how, how did that transfer come about? Well, I knew there was some some clubs uh, interested. Uh, I made my sort of debut for the uh, full time squad for Norway international. Been playing for the under 21s internationally. Uh, it all happened pretty quickly. Made my debut in the first team for Brand. So my talent sort of developed pretty yeah rapidly and the interest from foreign countries foreign clubs was was coming uh, quite quite fast really and i knew i knew there were some german clubs i knew there were some english club and also an, an italian club uh, interested the most sort of likely uh, club uh, was actually Freiburg uh, at the mm-hmm. time who, who showed the most of interest uh, and were willing to pay uh, put an offer down but then Southampton came obviously Graham Souness and Laurie McMenemy I think they they flew over twice to watch me and the second time they were here uh, it all happened they uh, they made their mind up and they wanted to uh, to buy me there and then and uh, we signed that contract uh, late evening sunday night wow. uh, yeah it was <laughs> a great was, decision a fantastic decision they made when you arrived in southampton what what was your first impressions of the city and and the dow i mean what what did you know about about southampton as the club well, I didn't know uh, too much. I've heard about Matthew Lattese and uh, obviously, but that was it really. I, I, I didn't know much about Southampton as a, as a city, as a town or or as a team. Obviously, I knew they, they were a premiership side and, and obviously that was 
the main thing I wanted to play Premier League football. So, but I didn't, I didn't know much at all. Spoke hardly any English or, uh, yeah, it was a huge step coming over as a 22 year old. And like I said, it happened very quickly. I think I came over on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and I made a debut on the Saturday. Uh, and that was it. Crazy. That was, uh, and, and looking back and, I'm thinking of all the managers I've had, I've, I've been benched four times. Um, wow. So that says a little about, about my determination and sort of hunger to, uh, to be in the team, but also, uh, the last sort of five, six years of my career at Southampton, I was club captain and, and, uh, I was very sort of uh, determined to uh, to show my best every week and then to help the the team and uh, the fans, the city, and everyone involved to uh, to do the best we could. You certainly did that. Um, d- during your first season, we finished sixteenth, um, and it was a relegation scrap. I think you know finished just above the drop zone. As usual. Yeah, uh, needed a point, I think, away at Villa to survive on the last day. Uh, but that's lo- right. Lost the game, I think, and then you know other results went our way. Soon as left uh dave jones came in at the end of that season i believe but i mean we can't talk about that season without mentioning that 6-3 at the dow i mean wow what a game to be involved in and you played a massive part in getting roy Keane sent off yeah and i i had a goal assist as well um, oh, yes <laughs> <laughs> that's obviously one of the the highlights if you're gonna pick games i've been involved in for southampton that that was just surreal um and looking back in that game, it's just uh, one of those crazy, uh, crazy games that you sort of uh, uh, very rarely see uh, either today or any any sort of day. Um, that two teams were going for it. Obviously, Manchester United were a massive. A massive club, massive team with so many superstars. But what we knew, they hated, they hated coming down to the Dow. Yes, yes. Um, and we made, uh, absolutely full advantage of that and went straight in their, their faces from the first second. So, but it just became, uh, such an open, uh, affair of, of two teams that, that wanted to, uh, obviously, and I, I think Manchester United were shocked by the work rate and obviously the uh, the stamina and everything we had on the day. And we had some quality players. I would say we had uh, we had Egelos and Stad who who came. Berkovitz, Berkovitz, and 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 Matt. So, uh, but obviously we were huge underdogs. But to to beat Manchester United six three at the Dal at home is is something very very special. Uh, luckily, I, I, uh, I beat them uh, a few other times as well. But uh, <laughs> that that day was uh, was unbelievable, and obviously being the, the first season uh, of my career at Southampton was was something special. Absolutely, yeah, I, I think that I'd seen that game, those game highlights, more than I've seen any other football match in my life. I just I've seen it so so many times, um, but. That, of course, that season, you know, what was it like playing in the same team as another Saints legend? We all know who I'm talking about here, the one and only Ali Dia. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, 
Matthew Letizia. <laughs> no, I mean Ali Dia. I want to know what happened there. What, <laughs> what happened with that? I mean, did he uh, did he even it's... take part in any training sessions? Because I don't know how how Graham Souness didn't yeah. realise. He 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 was there um, at the training ground the day before the game, um, but. Obviously, the session before uh, the match on the Saturday, you you sort of um, only go through set pieces. You you have maybe a little five side, uh, five ten minutes, or or you, you sort of in your preparations for the game. So you don't do much. Mm. Uh, so you couldn't, we couldn't really see um, see any skills, to see any uh, or lack yeah. of skills, yeah, <laughs> or lack of skills as it proved to be. Uh, uh, but he, yeah, he he seemed alright as a as a kid, and uh, obviously we had huge expectations because obviously he was linked to George Vea and they, <laughs> and being He's a yeah. <laughs> uh, but obviously, looking back, and I think uh, it could only have been Graham Souness, uh, <laughs> and it could only have been uh, us at the time because we we were desperate for for sort of creative players. But he to actually put him on the bench was one thing. That but actually make him come on. Uh, for Matthew Letiz. Yeah, he came on for Letiz, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think he he sort of had one half decent chance. Um, yes, yes, he did. But, 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 <laughs> but yeah, but after that, he had a couple of touches that I think everyone saw. What the <laughs> hell? And, Who the fuck uh, is this kid? Yeah. And and he was running around like uh, he didn't have a, a clue, and he wasn't talking to anyone, or uh, and being subbed again uh, when you've been uh, been <laughs> been coming on. The sub being not, subbed, yeah, yeah, and and that was the last uh, we ever saw him. Uh, <laughs> he he then obviously disappeared from the uh, from the Dell. He was gone when we came in. Uh, <laughs> And when when the club and, and we tried to get hold of him, uh, he stayed at the Hilton National, top of the avenue, and he mm. he is uh, ran away from the bill and everything there. <laughs> so uh, he was gone, uh, never to be seen again. My goodness, wow! So uh, yeah, <laughs> that was uh, a special one again, <laughs> unbelievable. It, it yeah, it could never happen, obviously, in today's football. No. Uh, but it was uh, something special and something really funny to uh, look back at. I don't know, we come pretty close with Guido Carrillo, didn't we? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A couple of assistants, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we, you know, you had more more and more close scrapes with relegation. It was always, you know, so nail-biting. It was, it was entertaining, though. We, we, we loved it. Got used to it. Um, but did, did you ever pay attention to the newspapers or, or to match highlights on, like, Match of the Day or anything to see if... You know, see what people were saying about you. Yes and no. I, I sort of, uh, I wasn't too involved in, in what the press was writing or uh, meaning uh, about me or the team. Or there wasn't sort of. Uh, it didn't. It didn't affect my game to put it that way. I, um, I was concentrating and and had enough to uh, to stay in the team and and to prove myself. Uh, like I said, I was uh, a very, very determined little kid uh, who wanted to uh, 
to learn quickly because I had to. Like I said, uh, meeting the Premier League was uh, was a shock. Obviously, the tempo, the the physique of the game, and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the fastness and the quality was uh, yeah what what I was used to in the domestic league of Norway. Uh, standing with my both feet in in the Premier League, uh, yeah, everything went so so much quicker. So I had to learn quick, uh, and luckily I did. And I had the had the qualities, even though the the first games, and you always will take some time to to fully uh, fit in, and obviously. But I think that was one one of the the best. So sort of, uh, I've always been a, a a social kid, and always involved myself with my teammates and obviously being the first Norwegian there. I think one of the, the biggest compliments I got and through the whole of my career was that I was the adapted uh, Norwegian who became an Englishman, which was a huge uh, sort of testament to, to uh, yeah, not only my game, my personality and, and who I was. So, yeah, but the first sort of three, four, maybe five seasons, we, we were on paper, we were relegated. Yes. Uh, and everyone talked about how the hell we're going to stay up. And uh, we were struggling, obviously, with budgets and, and money to sign good enough players. Uh, but we had something that not many teams have. Uh, and that was uh, one hell of a sort of gutsy spirit and a, uh, a togetherness that I, uh, I've learned so much about those first three, four seasons at the Dow because we were willing to die for each other uh, on the pitch, off the pitch, and we were very social off the pitch. And I, I really think that is, you are as strong as the dressing room are. And... Um, and I think we had a really, really good uh, sort of temperament and, and sort of um, uh, the dressing room was... Uh, we were really, really looking after each other. So, yeah, that's something um, that you cannot buy, isn't it? I know it's a cliche, no, but it can't. isn't. You can't buy it. And it's so underrated. And it does take time to, you know, to, to trust each other. And Absolutely. Yeah, no, that was, that was the main sort of asset we had. Uh, because on paper we couldn't sort of uh, compete against the, the at least the best clubs in, in the league, but we we were in the relegation battle nearly every year. And on paper we probably should have should have been relegated, but we've had some we had some great escapes, yes. But we had we had like I said this togetherness that we were willing to really uh, die for each other, and that that kept us kept us up these. Uh, those uh, first seasons some those years with some of the best in my career i think you learn so much about your your teammates and uh because yeah you can scream and shout as much as you as you want but we only human beings and most of them only need an arm around the shoulder to to perform uh especially on this stage when you when you get sort of 20 to 70,000 people watching you every week. You you uh, you need sort of reassurance by your teammates that you uh, you're doing well. Dave Jones left. Glenn Hoddle came in, um, and you also yeah. saw um, well. Glenn Hoddle would eventually leave and go to Spurs, um, and then Stuart Gray came in, and you know you said goodbye to the Dow after what 103 years, um, oh. and everyone of course that special game against Arsenal. 
yeah. with that special yeah. goal from from Matty. Um, yeah. And then of course, yeah, brilliant. And then of course the you know the new the new ground, the then Friends Providence St Mary Stadium. Uh, what was your first impressions of the new new ground? And you know, were, were the team all happy for the move? Well, yeah, of course we were happy because we 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 saw that uh, or we felt that. The, the Dell wasn't big enough and, uh, as a club, you, you have to, uh, business wise, you have to, to grow and the stadium have to, uh, get better and get bigger. Yes, we, we were all happy to, to move, but obviously having, having the home advantage at the Dell was something that we, uh, we lost for a while. Uh, because adjusting to a new stadium, uh, is always difficult. And to make it your sort of uh, fortress and, yeah, having an advantage of, of playing at home, yeah. it, it, took, it took some time. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I remember it was quite difficult the first uh, first few years. And then you had Gordon Strachan who come in and took over from, from Stuart Gray. Yep. Uh, yep. Strachan was a bit of a joker with the media and, you know, he didn't suffer falls lightly. Uh, was was he the same in the dressing room? Yeah, uh, I would say Gordon is. Uh, he could be difficult to read uh, if you di- if you didn't know him. But obviously, Gordon came in and and uh, first of all, we sort of hated him uh, <laughs> for the first few months because he ran us every bloody day, uh, <laughs> and he had a he had a training regime and uh, a fitness regime that. Uh, We've never seen anything like. But obviously, after a few months, we saw the benefits of it because we were probably, at the time, those two seasons Gordon was there, we were probably the fittest side in the league, uh, I would say. And and prevention of injuries, we we could afford. Of We were a bit lucky, but obviously we had very few injuries and to play the same 11 more or less two seasons straight uh gave us a, a great advantage of of uh finishing uh finishing top uh, top 10 uh, two of the two of those seasons which uh which was i would say a great an unbelievable achievement for the club at the time oh yes yeah that was incredible i mean he he, he did come in and work wonders i mean so he yeah, finished he 11th in that first season. And I remember it was a really, really bad start to the season as well, wasn't it? And then, you know, just to to finish 11th after all that was, yeah, that was yeah, just incredible. Yeah, I, I think the first first season there, we uh, at Christmas, we, we were quite uh, dead, dead and buried, really. But after Christmas, we had the best home record in the league. Uh, yes. And uh, me and Michael, I remember, was voted the, the best, uh, centre half pairing uh, in, oh, the, killer. in the Premier League, yeah, good old killer. Uh, uh, love him. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I think, yeah, Gordon was. Uh, I loved him uh, because, uh, yeah, he was he was a funny, uh, <laughs> funny guy, and uh, he could make some jokes. But if you gave hundred percent for Gordon, he he would look look after you all day long, and. Uh, which he did. So he he was a player manager, but if you uh, were fooling about and not not giving you all, he uh, he will have you. It's like it should be, really. Uh, Absolutely. Obviously, yeah. obviously, he made quite a few other changes at the club. Obviously, taking all the alcohol away from the the players' lounge and a few other things that he was 
chasing us around town in the nightclubs and and that sort of thing. So, uh, but he, he just wanted us to uh, be as as well prepared and as fit as possible. And uh, and we uh, we reaped the results at the end of the day. Do, do you have a favourite story about Gordon Strachan? I've got, uh, I've got quite a few. Obviously, I, I invited Gordon over to when I worked for TV2 uh, in uh, in Norway, here in Bergen. Uh, I was in charge of all the uh, the guests we uh, we flew over. So Gordon came over uh, uh, very kindly, and uh, we had a few uh, a few laughs then. But obviously, I remember him. When he was really firing, he uh, he was yeah. You, you you should keep your mouth uh, firmly shut. Uh, <laughs> when he was firing, uh, I remember. I think it was one of the first games at Anfield away. I'm not sure if it was Anders Svensson's debut or it was actually yeah one of his first games anyway. And. Uh, and he came in and threw uh, a cup of tea in his face, and then the uh, oh. he, he said, "You uh, you are their best fucking player." And uh, yeah, there was some uh, really bad words coming out of uh, of uh, of Gordon when he was angry, but he he turned around pretty quickly and uh, apologised and sort of uh, made things straight. But his his temper was uh, was quite firing, so. Uh, Every time he, uh, he he was fired up, uh, just look the other way and keep shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean I've seen him with the press. If they ask him a question that he doesn't like, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean at the end of that first season at St Mary's, um, the Tiz left, of course. I mean, was it was it difficult losing a, a player like that? Was was the team different at all after he left? Yeah, of course. Uh, you're never going to be the same without. Uh, a club like legend or a, a player with much ability uh, and his, his talents obviously was like I said earlier we, we had a fighting spirit we had a team spirit uh, and, a, and a dressing room who was was really really good but we also had Matthew Letizia who, who was something special he, he, he were the one who was winning games for us and um and uh, to lose him, um, yeah, was a, obviously a massive, uh, a massive blow and a massive loss for, for the club, for the team, and everyone involved. Uh, he was, uh, he was very, very special, uh, very gifted footballer, uh, one of the the best I've, I've ever seen. He's a, a joy to watch, definitely. Oh, God. Yeah, but I mean, it. it sort of got even better from there incredibly uh the 2002-2003 season I mean yeah wow what a campaign yeah lots of memories for me of that one yeah, yeah. that was um probably the highlights of my career as well from 2002 to 2005 uh sort of playing wise for myself and and I was captain for the international side and uh yeah I was Probably those were the best best years of my career. Yeah, I had some great memories of those uh, those, especially those two uh, top ten finishes and the FA Cup final in 2003. So uh, 
and uh, at that stage we obviously turned the St Mary's uh, around to to uh, to be our our firm home ground, and uh, everyone felt that. I mean, as a kid growing up and watching FA Cup finals and stuff, I mean, what was it like for you walking out for that 2003 final? I mean, how were the nerves? Was it was it like did nerve did you get better as you got older with nerves? Um, not really. Uh, I think when you're young and sort of uh, naive, you you sort of a bit more gutsy. I think you uh, when you get older, you you sort of uh, are a bit more afraid of of uh, yeah what could happen or uh, consequences. Uh, but walking out to uh, an FA Cup final, even though it was played in Cardiff at mm. the Millennium Stadium. Uh, yeah, it, it's something, it's something that it's, for a footballer playing in England is, is, is gonna be one of the, the biggest highlights ever because the, the, the cup itself is, is the oldest, is most sort of prestige cup, uh, domestic cup in, in the world. Mm. And, uh, to be involved in the final and, and leading up to the final, the, 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 the sort of semi-final at Villa Park against I was Watford, there. Watford was. I was there at that one. I remember it. Yeah. Really well. well, I was working for the club um, for that season, and I, I went to every single one apart from the the Millwall away and the final. But, All right. Yeah. yeah, that's that semi-final at Villa Park. I remember. Yeah, it that was very fantastic. Well. Yeah, everyone was wearing wigs, and uh, yeah. yeah, was uh, that was a special day. So. Uh, Obviously, a cup final is is it's huge, it's massive, and um, you are so concentrated on sort of yeah doing your job. Uh, we knew that we we were up against the side who haven't lost the whole season, uh, uh, and they didn't lose that season at all. No, they were uh, pretty good, yeah. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, uh, no, right. <laughs> and obviously, I've said so many times that. Being asked who was the player that I was most struggling with, and um, and that was Thierry Henry, and obviously him being out there was uh, I should have been sent off after 30 seconds. <laughs> obviously, uh, water skiing behind the grabbing uh, grabbing his shirt. I was uh, caught sort of uh, caught after yeah, it must have been under a minute. Uh, and if that was later on in the game, I, I, he must have sent me off. But obviously Thierry Henry, he, uh, he stayed on his feet and he, uh, he managed to get a finish off and, uh, and obviously Antti saved it. But that was, yeah, uh, a good thing uh, in many ways because, um, uh, after that, me and Thierry Henry had a, a good relationship because he reminded me of that situation every time we met. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, one of the last, last ever games at the, uh, the old, um, Highbury, I got his shirt. We, we swapped oh, wow. shirts. So, so he was, so he was, uh, yeah, and probably in my era over there, uh, one of the, uh, one of the best players in the Premier League I've ever seen, I think. So, uh, he was, he was difficult to play. Um, but obviously we we uh, made a decent effort and uh, only lost one nil. So, uh, mm. but to 
to represent Southampton to see the fans at the stadium and and we were on yellow on the day and so half of the stadium was still there an hour after kickoff. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was something that I will never forget. Never forget. So uh yeah, there was houses up my road actually that had yellow and blue ribbons on for like a year after that cup final. They just kept <laughs> them up. It was just so so good to see. Yeah, it was. Um, after that, uh, Gordon Strachan, of course, left and was replaced by Paul Sturrock. I mean, was was that a bit of a shock for you? Did, did the players know what was going on? No, I, I can't. I can't sort of uh, firmly remember. Uh, all the details around it, but all of a sudden he was gone. Remember, he came in and said uh, he uh, took us into the canteen and said there was something uh, he couldn't come to terms with with the club that he, he had to leave us. And we were, as players, obviously as surprised as everybody else uh, at the time. I remember uh, because we we've been doing so well. It was a big blow, uh, and but I can't remember. I think we found out later on that obviously his wife was ill. Uh, he had some personal reasons as well. So, but Gordon was uh, was sorely missed because we had uh, we had something good going at the time. Uh, so uh, and we lost that when uh, when Paul when Paul came in and Paul obviously all the respect to him he, he sort of he came from Plymouth and and sort of. I think the step up to the Premier League was was a little bit unfair to judge him on that because he, uh, I think, it was too big for him. The club was too big, the job was too big for him. That didn't didn't really work out, really. So, no, uh, it's a strange appointment. Yeah. But, I mean, d- despite all of the managerial changes that came and left. Yeah. But it's only only the players who can uh, who can get you the results, and obviously uh, the manager will will have a plan and uh, will have a strategy and uh, tactical awareness to what he's doing. But obviously, if you don't get the players hundred percent on board, you you're not going to perform, are you? So uh, it's very very important. Yeah. Um, were the players a hundred percent on board for Harry Redknapp when he came from? Pompey. I mean, I guess you had a good relationship with him, but I mean, was it a big deal that he came from them down the road? I mean, it was for the fans. Yeah, of course it was. Uh, to to come from Portsmouth to Southampton uh, and actually going back, uh, what happened there was was quite unbelievable. He, he, wa- to, he wasn't on a, on a mission, was he? He wasn't on a secret mission to go. Smash and grab. Well, yeah. it could, uh, <laughs> looking back, it could look look like it, but no, we we was a very surprised, but obviously Harry had had a good name, and he uh, he, he was a likable manager. I always got got along with him really well. Uh, he was one of the other guys I got over to Norway and kept sort of contact with him and Jamie. Uh, but, but obviously Harry Harry was Harry, and. Uh, and obviously that was the time when when him and sort of the chairman Rupert Lowe at the time didn't have the best of relationships. Got uh, Clive Woodward in uh, mm. at that time. That was not a good fit. Uh, <laughs> no, because rugby. yeah, and obviously he's been world champion in rugby and and uh, all the respect you can get for that, but. Uh, to translate the rugby language to 
translates what you do to become a world champion in rugby over to football, it's not much you can compare. Uh, maybe something psychologically or, or, or uh, things like that, but they were trying to put a lot of rugby thoughts into our head and a lot of experts on their field uh, came in but then, and the club spent huge amounts of money on ESO projects to make us better how to kick a ball and, and all sorts of uh, uh, reactions of uh, strategy and uh, a lot of things that we, we couldn't relate to football uh, I, I remember it really well and, and that that sort of uh, created a, um, a, a sort of a, a split in the group, and we had some foreign players, and we had some uh, some other characters in the squad at the time that that wasn't that wasn't uh, fit for uh, what I would describe as as Southampton, uh, as a family club, as as a club who was looking after each other and. And really, uh, yeah, it was really sad to watch the whole of that season uh, when we got relegated. And uh, we we sort of uh, had lost had lost ourselves and lost the sort of the dressing room. And we had too many uh, clicks in the, in the dressing room. Too many players just playing for themselves. And yeah, and uh, it was yeah, it was looking back, it was it was really. Really difficult to be one of the senior players there to uh, to try and turn it around. To be relegated that season was one of the absolute downfalls of of my life and my career, without a doubt. Turning to Norway, we'll go to Norway for a bit. You, you were capped by Norway in 1995. Um, yeah. You scored twice for Norway, is that right? You scored twice for Saints and twice for Norway. That's right, yeah. Um, and according to your Wikipedia page, <laughs> uh, you scored against Bosnia-Herzegovina in 2002, and it was the yeah. 1,000th goal in the history of Norwegian national team. Were, were you aware correct. of that? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> I will have uh, celebrated. Uh, well, for me, scoring uh, was a big surprise anyhow. So, uh, yeah, it was for uh, us too. <laughs> yeah. But to score the uh, the thousand goal for Norway, uh, I didn't I didn't know it was on the line uh, before kickoff. So uh, uh, I was actually told after after the goal was scored, it was not a pretty one, but I um, I managed to get it over the line uh, with the sort of lower part of my stomach. And uh, yeah, obviously it's always going to be in the history book of uh of uh Norwegian football so uh but was uh it was a great night at the uh at the national stadium in Oslo uh, that night and that was one of one of the the good years i had in the national side scoring with your stomach is better than what Shane Long did last season <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true uh, I, I remember those Norway sides in the nineties. They they were some there were some incredible players. They had like um Egerlostenstadt and Solskjaer, obviously like Hennenberg, Flo you mentioned before, like Ronnie Jonsson. There was so yeah. many good Norwegian players coming over to the Premier League and yeah. And of and of course you. Yeah, I think uh late nineties, sort of uh early two thousand we we uh I think we had around twenty more than twenty Norwegian players like, playing in the Premier League. 
So, uh, and obviously then we, we had a good national side, even though I, I sort of don't d- agree with, uh, with Tridlow, uh, the manager for Norway who, who sort of took us to second in the world rating, uh, and, uh, and we were playing a certain style, which I, uh, I didn't like. Uh, but obviously being involved for the national team, anyhow, is, 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 uh, something big to play, uh, with the flag on your chest is, is something big. So, uh, Absolutely. uh, but at this, uh, at this era when I was scoring this goal and, uh, we, uh, we had a different, uh, different manager. We had, uh, Orge Harede, uh, as manager at the time. So, um, so, uh, but now back to your question. I didn't know that goal was, uh, <laughs> the one, the 1000 goal was, uh, on the line, but. Yeah, I'm always going to be remembered for that one. And and the goal against Wolves, of course. Yeah, yeah which which was uh, which was yeah after six years, I think it was my sixth season. Uh, eight uh, eight years. Was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go. So uh, I thought you were going to go on a on you know start free scoring after that one. Yeah. yeah. That's it. He's <laughs> that, now he's got one. They're all going to start piling up now. Uh, the thing was this, uh, I've been asked about this so many times, and it was a psychological block I had. Uh, because I was willing to die and, uh, actually nearly kill myself in the, in the, in my own 16 yard box to, to prevent goals. But as soon as I got, got up to the other end, uh, I didn't have that sort of, uh, <laughs> determination or uh, which you need so I was more like like Gordon told me like I was more useful as a dead body in the box <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, the end of <laughs> and uh, I think also the uh, the quotes from the um, Sky Sky Sports uh, reporters um, saying live uh, when we got a corner in one of the games he, uh, he said uh, and there comes Michael Swenson uh, and here comes Klaus Lundekrom and the, the co-reporter says, why does he fucking bother? <laughs> <laughs> it's a decoy. Strachan say you should get uh, penalised for time-wasting. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, the, uh, the, the greatest decoy in Premier League history, I think. I mean, you scored a second one a couple of years later at Cardiff. Um, did you think um, you'd hit a purple patch? Uh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, but I was very pleased that I, uh, I managed to score a goal at, at St. Mary's, at, at home, obviously. Uh, yeah. And obviously, uh, I got to speak to Dave Johnson, uh, I made sure that it wasn't personal. Oh, he, yes. Uh, both of the goals was against him. <laughs> yeah. Poor man. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, those last couple of, uh, seasons, at St Mary's, you were dogged by injuries yeah. and were in and out of the team. Oh, I mean, that that must have been tough to deal with. Yeah, I think the the ankle injury I uh, I got was sort of uh, the start of the end for uh, for my career. Uh, obviously, went through uh, four operations on that ankle. Um, before I, I I retired and uh, yeah it caused me so much pain and, and trouble that ankle that I um, and uh, what actually happened was I was operated on and uh, this was the the second operation 
and uh, I was strengthening the the ankle uh, in all all departments that I could. I was one week away from full training. And I remember it like, yeah, early yesterday that one of the running sessions I had in the dome, uh, behind the training ground, we are, we got the dome, uh, a few years before. I was, yeah, doing rehab for quite a few months, I'd done everything right. I had some, a little bit of pain, but, uh, it wasn't too bad and I was really hoping I could actually come back now. I, I had the sort of, feeling that I uh, I can make this. Uh, but this running session I had in, in the dome to get the fitness up and, and sort of uh, I was only yeah a few days away from from uh, full training, uh, get back into football with the boys. Uh, this this ligament in the ankle snapped again. Oh. Uh, I just remember I was turning and and then uh, taking a few strides and and then it, it snapped uh, quite loudly and then i i just fell to the ground and uh started crying uh because i knew i knew i was carried into the into the treatment room and uh, into the doctor's office and uh, i was just lying there and i cried non-stop for an hour uh That's horrible because i knew i was over and yeah i can I can look back today and say, yeah, I was 35 at the time. I uh, I played over 12 seasons for Southampton, and I've uh, yeah, I, I could have may, maybe got one, two, maximum three years. But to even to realise uh, there and then that this is it, uh, this is over. Um, it was really really gif- difficult to take and to swallow so uh horrible so it was uh yeah that was really sad really sad i don't think anything can prepare you for that but yeah i mean that your your testimonial that um was given i mean after 12 years of valiant service for the saints um yeah that that, that was a, a very special day in front of Eighteen thousand fans. Yeah, the the testimonial was extremely important for me to to come back one last time and uh, and say thank you really to uh, to all the fans and because uh, I found it very very difficult to uh, to be sidelined to not be involved. Obviously, I was traveling. I was club captain. I was traveling with the club to all the away games uh, I was involved in everything we did but I couldn't contrib- contribute to uh, to what I was good at and obviously that was being on the pitch and motivate my teammates so but obviously to come back for for the last time in a testimonial was something uh, very very important and very big for me uh, to have a testimonial for a foreign player, uh, it's it's huge. It's only it's only me and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is who's had that for any Norwegians. So uh, that's something I'm very proud about. So it was a very a very emotional night. Obviously, hundreds of Norwegians and the whole family and everyone uh, everyone was there. So uh, and I managed to to eat a lot of painkillers and 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 play the sort of last. 10-15 minutes 
Uh, and to, to sort of say goodbye to, uh, to everyone and, and thank them for, for the loyal support, uh, for so many years. Uh, that was, uh, that was very important for me and, uh, I'm really glad that I, uh, I, I made it for that, for that game and obviously it was a bit of a struggle, uh, before because I had to buy the new, uh, <laughs> the new turf, the, yeah. The Is that true? Turf. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Oh. Uh, I spent 150 grand on that turf. Oh, wow. Uh, and that that's... was a gamble because I didn't know if, uh, I think I needed 15,000 to come and watch the game to break even. So I didn't make any money on, on my testimonial, but that wasn't, that wasn't the sort of, yeah, uh. That wasn't the goal, you just wanted to. No, yeah. I just wanted to, uh, to come back for the last time and, and say goodbye and, and uh, yeah, say a massive thank you to all the fans who supported me for all those years. Uh, but I was, um, I remember at the time I was, I was really sad and, and uh, obviously that, that started a, a sort of a, a depression for me that, uh, yeah, of course, uh, caused some, uh, some difficult years, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, the, the career of a footballer is quite different from any other career. And, uh, I mean, at, at the age of 35, you're, you can be pushed into retirement like that. And, yeah, a lot of preparation and there's a whole infrastructure that goes into preparing young players for playing in the Premier League. Some of them make it, some of them don't. But um, for, yeah, for those that do, I mean, there there isn't really much preparation made for retirement. Well, at, at the time when I retired and um, was forced out because of injury, it was nothing, and there hasn't been uh, until the last sort of few years, um, and that's why it's so um, it's so bloody important that the clubs are taking this serious now. Uh, that's why I'm so pleased and so happy that uh, Southampton now are showing way with this project they're doing with uh, with the scholars. Obviously, mm-hmm. prepare them for what's coming, but also prepare the the uh, the professionals who's been in the game. For a long time, or yeah, be you've been left out of the team, you've been uh, whatever, have to retire, and what's coming that you, you can't prepare them for that, but you can learn a lot from the players who's uh, who's made some wrong wrong decisions, uh, like me, um, and I think it's very very difficult now, very easy for many. Uh, the down, downfall is so huge to lose um, lose purpose in uh, in day to day life because for me then twenty years of of professional football was gone overnight mm-hmm. uh, and then what what I actually lost was the dressing room it was not so necessarily the the playing part of it and you can never you can never replace the adrenaline of of walking out to 50,000 people you you can never replace that uh, but what you actually miss the most is uh, is your teammates is purpose is uh, sort of day to day life have something to come to such a massive change yeah just just like that yeah it's huge uh, and obviously 
for me, uh, I had everything to be proud about, and I, I was. I involved myself in a lot of charity work and a lot of foundation uh, things with the, with the club, and um, but everything was. Uh, I, I all of a sudden could could party more. I could drink more because I didn't have to perform every every day or every weekend, uh, and that. So escalated with the, the rate of uh, my depression at the time until I pretty quickly I found myself in uh, in really deep water and uh, yeah for me it came situation of life and death pretty quickly I think prepare yourself uh, or to to have a system in place for the club is crucial not everyone will obviously become a coach or become a manager but to have something there to wake up to to drag you out of bed every morning that gives you purpose is is so is so crucial after absolutely after, yeah after you retire because you 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 sat there with uh yeah all the money in the world i i had two boats i had uh, a house in bergen uh, i had a speedboat in miami I, I had everything but i was i was really I was really down. I was depressed and I had nothing to be depressed about. But I've lost the most important thing in my life and that was football. And that was my teammate. And that purpose was gone. I uh, I felt lost and I, I I think I've described that in my book. And, and so many times that I was sort of walking into a black hole. I didn't know what to do with myself. And, uh, and like I said, I, I made some wrong decisions and... Uh, and uh, the partying escalated into uh, using uh, drugs and cocaine on a regular basis, and, and uh, like I said, it, it became it became a, a deadly habit that I uh, I couldn't get out of, uh, and I was I was so lost and uh, so desperate that I uh, yeah I've, I've tried to to kill myself twice. Uh, I'm sorry to say, uh, but that's how how low I I got, uh, and how low I actually felt at the time of of uh, of uh, of not having anything around me that uh, could could support me in the way that I uh, I, I could find uh, yeah the little boy Klaus mm. again, but also found purpose in in day-to-day life it's been uh, it's been many many years of of ups and downs uh for me after retirement obviously i've been in and out of treatment many many times obviously now the last sort of uh, uh five six years i've been totally clean and i've been that's uh, incredible building myself uh, slowly but surely back up to uh and and have have purpose and desire and and to do something i love is to help others uh with my story with my with my book and every uh, everything around it is uh is really rewarding to work with today so uh, that's why i'm i'm so excited about this project that southampton is going into now to to actually help help these footballers today to prepare one is uh, is the scholars to to prepare them for what's coming, but also uh, to help uh, all the players in the club, all the staff to because we're all gonna hit 
bad days, hit depression or mm. been sat out of the team or get injured long term or you've been loaned away or or whatever can affect your mental your mental state. That's uh, that's something we need to take serious and um, I'm just very glad that Southampton is one of the first clubs now who is uh, who's taken this serious and do actually do something about it. That is brilliant. Yeah, and you, you've dealt with this perfectly as well. You must have you must have worked incredibly hard to get where you are now, and you know just that. No matter how bad things can get, there's always a way. There's always people that you can talk to, people that can help, and you know you've come out smelling of roses, really. I don't envy anyone to go through the uh, the pain I've, I've been through uh, when it comes to addiction and uh, and sort of mental mental health issues uh, because it's it's been so uh, so much guilt and, and shame in in there as well because I couldn't justify that my girls was could grow up without their daddy and I but I was I was lost in the addiction so I I uh, and I I didn't know where to turn to get help I found help eventually through the sporting chance clinic Tony Adams's clinic uh, and Peter Kay uh, rest in peace uh, who who probably saved my life at the time but even even after that sort of uh, long-term treatment i i uh, needed i needed many years to sort of adapt to another life another another purpose in life another way of life and uh because you you live in a in a bubble that is it's not really comparable to to normal life at all uh as a professional footballer and when that is gone it's uh it's very difficult to uh, to make some uh, some bad choices. I mean, it's great that you're so open about the journey that you've been on, and yeah. you can use your message to help clubs, um, help the the players who maybe or former players that have lost their purpose, help them to to, to find it again. And so, yes, it's definitely great work. Well, thank you. Well, I, I found I found what I do today extremely rewarding, uh, extremely, yeah, uh, with a lot of purpose and and uh, because I've I've been there, I've uh, uh, and to work in the field and and being educated in the field of uh, of psychiatry and and uh, addiction. Um, I've learned so much, not only about addiction and psychiatry and mental health, but also about myself. So um, I'm really, really proud of where I am today. I get emotional when I talk about it, but it's um, I'm sat here today with uh, with so much purpose in my life and um, and to help others and and uh, be honest and open about my story. Uh, it's really rewarding to to then uh, maybe help others. And, Definitely, uh, I mean, there's 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 got to be a lot of people out there now. I mean, through the pandemic, who are going through similar experience that they've lost lost their purpose in life. I mean, might have been laid off or forced absolutely. into retirement, or facing the the loneliness that uh, the lockdowns have brought. I mean, is there a message that you could? Uh, out to people 
Well, without a doubt, it's, it, it's so many people that I've been working with because I'm, I work for uh, an independent of psychiatry alliance that is, is um, putting in place that activities. We got 20 activities for for people with mental health or addiction issues uh that we put in place every week for them uh and it's hundreds of people in bergen yeah um and for them now obviously when we are locked down been a, a hugely depressing uh time for so so many people who all of a sudden has lost uh that togetherness that sort of uh activity during the day and uh, if there's one one sort of advice I, I would give, if you can, and if you've got strength and, and the power to create a, a sort of normality in your day, to have something to get up to, to get up in the morning and, and, and do something positive and be active, do... Uh, Involve yourself in, in some sort of uh, training, some sort of work that gives you gives purpose is probably the best advice I'd, I could I could give because if you if you get lazy obviously and you uh, been laid off at work or you uh, you struggling then isolation and and loneliness is uh, is uh, is there and then uh, to come out of that. Uh, it's going to be harder and harder and more difficult to uh, to come out of the longer you you sat in it and uh, the more problems you you probably going to get to create some some good good habits during the day uh, every day uh, it's it's crucial to uh, maintain healthy and maintain soul in a, in a mental good state. Definitely proof that there can be a purpose despite them. Um, I mean, your, your book you, you mentioned, uh, Encampteel, um, yeah. m- must have been quite uh, quite difficult to, to put that together. It was. Um, uh, it was a long project. Obviously, we used over a year to put that together because obviously that was that was going back to all the the sort of memories, the the really tough memories of of letting my kids down, letting my family down, and the the sort of guilt and, and shame uh, around that uh, obviously taking an overdose and and obviously yeah uh, physically tried to kill myself with two two occasions I I survived luckily I I managed to to turn it around to to find strength uh, to use my sort of determination uh, which I had in football and had in my career to to uh, do something positive um, so but it's been a roller coaster um, and uh, writing that book is is something that I'm, I'm very very proud of because it's a uh, it's a very very honest story of my life uh, good and bad. Yeah. Happy ending. Uh, there's always a happy ending there, uh, but it, it it could have gone horribly wrong. Um, and I feel I feel lucky that I'm alive today. I feel lucky that I can give my story to to others to help others. And I think the book is uh, obviously it was hugely popular when it came out in. 2015. I would I would have loved to translate it into English. I think there's a lot of uh, English 
yeah, players, people who uh, who would have the benefit of, of reading that book. Uh, yeah, I'd love to read it. Oh, I'd love to read it. We just have to learn Norwegian, Kev. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because there is a life after football. That's that's for sure. But it's what it's what you make it. And uh, obviously, living in that uh, professional footballing bubble, I would call it for so many years. That's as I was uh, lucky enough to do, uh, it makes it makes the the life afterward. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's I wouldn't say automatically difficult, but uh, there's there's so many things you have to adjust. And for me, it all started with a, a huge depression of of losing purpose, lo- losing meaning of life, uh, losing the dressing room, and and losing my my teammate. I'm thankful and proud I'm, I'm sat here today. As a we. As a we, yeah. Amazing, amazing story. Right, if, we, if I could just um, ask you a few things about, the, you know, the, the current season. Um, yeah. Have, have you, I mean, do you keep up with Saints still? Are you making sure that you're watching all the games? Yeah, sure. As much as we can, yeah. Started the season very well and, you know, had a dip. Suffered another 9-0 defeat. Yeah, but as you mentioned earlier, you know, still in the cup. And do you think we can make a good go of it? I think so. Obviously, having uh, Bournemouth in the quarter final now is is um, quite achievable to to get through. Uh, and obviously, it's going to be a very strong team in in the semi final. But I think on the day. Uh, we are capable of beating anyone. It's achievable to reach a cup final, uh, without a doubt. And, uh, and fingers crossed for, for the, for the club that we can, uh, we can do that. Um, but obviously we, we, we're down in a bad way at the moment with, uh, obviously we've had a lot of injuries and, and, uh, key players out. Our squad of players is, is not, uh, as good as, uh, yeah, many of the other Top team. So, um, but the great start we had, and uh, all the sort of positivity we had. We even today, I think, in the spells of the game, we play great football. But we're not taking our chances, and we're not sort of uh, putting teams away. And we've had some bad luck with some decisions. Oh, yeah. But, but end of the day, we we've not been good enough because we we've had to change the team so much. Uh, but if we if we can get everyone fit, everyone uh, up to match fitness, uh, obviously looking at Yannick Vastigard at the weekend, he's not match fit. Uh, Walker Peters is not match fit. Uh, no, he's out for see. about three weeks now. Three weeks he's, he's out for. Out yeah. Again, yeah. So it's it's yeah. Uh, defensively now it's it's it's. Uh, quite difficult uh so ralph needs to uh find something clever to uh to sew up that defense because um we've been looking very solid with uh with bednarek and, and vestigard earlier in the season they've really impressed me but now obviously uh lo- losing sort of key players every week it's, it's difficult for uh for a small small club or a small squad but what Ralph has done and the way we are set up to play football, I, I really like. And even losing uh, 9-0, um, it, it can happen. It can happen to anyone. Uh, but it, it's bloody unfortunate. It's fucking happened to us twice now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and uh, it just shows that 
obviously the club is standing behind uh, Ralph after after those defeats because I hope they see that uh, long term he he can be the right manager. But obviously now we be we've been struck by uh, uh, unfortunate uh, injuries and uh, and too many. Too many players who is not much fit at the moment. So, uh, but on the day and, and like I said, when we got everyone fit and, uh, and, uh, much fit, we, uh, we're capable of beating anyone and, uh, we've proven that. So, uh, so, but now we need to turn a corner because we, we're really in a, in a bad spot with five, uh, six defeats and we, uh, we need to get a win as quickly as possible. I was hoping that Wolves' uh, win in the cup will uh, would yeah. actually uh, spare us get, on to bigger things. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it did sort of first half, uh, <laughs> but then we we didn't come out second half, uh, and then uh, yeah, obviously of our decision with the uh, with the handball and uh, went against us, and uh, and we made to lose lose that one as well, which is. Um, which is disappointing, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of VAR, I mean, it was introduced at the start of last season. This season and last few matches, actually, as you said, it, it hasn't been kind to us. But where, where do you stand on the system? Are you a fan or, you know, are you a uh, purist and just want to get it back to where it was? I I hope it... Uh, I hope they take it away. When, when they obviously, this is going to be a, a period they're going to assess it and uh, look at it and see, uh, yeah, what comes out of it at the end of the day. But I think uh, so many, uh, so many things about VAR now that it's not consistent and it's not, it's ruined the sort of celebration of the goals and it's ruined a lot of key points of, for me in the game that I, I think they, uh, I'm not a fan. So, uh. Do you have VAR in Norway? In no, no. No. We don't. Do, do, do people want it? Uh, well, it's been talked about, talks about it, but obviously, I, I don't think. Uh, yeah, we're not, we're not a great be, advert for it now. Are no, we? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it will be introduced over here. No, it, it, sometimes, obviously, goal line technology or, or split decisions or whatever can can change games, and I understand that they want to get that right, but it's ruined so much else and. There, there isn't any consistency in the handball situations and, and the measuring, uh, how they measure, uh, the shirts or we play football, they, they, at least they should measure the feet, uh, yeah. for a start for yes. me, uh, and not measure the, uh, the sort of shirts or the body or whatever. So you can get some consistency, but they, uh, they're not, uh, and that silent flag, if some player get injured, they can actually sue the VAR if something happens in between, uh, if you know what mm. I mean. Very good point. So, yeah. Uh, so now I, I don't, uh, I was obviously interested in, uh, see how it would work, but I think we, we all see now it's, it's, uh, yeah. Better I, off without that. Yeah, I, w- I would take it away. Okay, uh, right. We'll, we'll we'll end with um, we've just got a few questions, got a few quick fire questions, and then we've got a few questions from our Discord. Um, Kev, did you want to go first? Um, yeah, best centre back partner. Uh, 
Uh, Michael Swenson. Uh, best manager, worst manager. I've, I've learned something good and not so good. Uh, all of my, all my managers. Uh, the most successful manager was Gordon Strachan, so I would have to say him. I don't want to name a, a worst manager because I, I think they all given me something. Um, what about as a trainer? Uh, who was the best trainer? Uh, Matthew Oakley was always good in training, I thought. I uh, was one of the players that who didn't fulfil sort of his potential in games. Um, uh, Paul Telfer, he was an uh, unbelievable, uh, dedicated pro. And the other end? Matthew Littis, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> myself. Oh, come on uh, now. I don't believe that. <laughs> I did my job, but I, uh, yeah, I could have some lazy days, but I need... I, 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 I knew always what I needed to do to perform at the weekend, to put it that way. So, uh, yeah. Good answer. Um, yeah, are you still in contact with uh, the former teammates? Yes, uh, I wouldn't have mentioned Matt if I, I didn't have a good relationship to him. Yeah. Uh, so I still speak to him uh, through social media and uh, Twitter and uh, Occasionally on the phone, so uh, yeah, I keep in touch with him, Franny, Dodsey, uh, Beats, uh, yeah, uh, Rory sometimes, Brett Omrod, Bridgie, so quite a few of the, uh, the the teammates from that era I'm, uh, I'm still in contact with, yeah. That's good, that's good to hear. The, the Dell or St Mary's? Well, I love the Dell. Uh, there was something special or historic about the Dow. I say the Dow, but obviously future <laughs> can never apply there today. But uh, I love the Dow. Um, and apart from the Dow St Mary's, which ground did you like to visit the most? I can guess where this is going. Anfield, and um, I love the the old Highbury, and I love the old White Hart Lane. Uh, yeah. Those was uh, sort of stadiums that you can get into contact with the uh, with the fans. So uh, uh, yeah, I love those. And, it's amazing uh, they're not there anymore. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, is there any player that you used to hate playing against? I mean, you did say Thierry Henry. Yeah, but he was pure class. He was just unbelievably good. And obviously Arsenal those years were, were fantastic. But when I came over, obviously Manchester United were were the best side when they had Dwight York and Andy Cole up front. They were awesome. Obviously Burkamp and Thierry Henry was different class. Soul and Hasselbank and Chelsea. Yeah, so many good players. It's very rarely that I, I sort of, uh, fall out with players or I actually dislike players. Uh, but it was one player that, that I sort of, yeah, who was full of shit in every game. Uh, and was really personal and sort of, yeah, going after, after you with all sort of personal stuff. And, uh, and that was, can you guess? Oh, no, I'm really intrigued, though. I'm just trying to think. Yeah. Eric, Eric Cantona. No, no, no. He was, <laughs> he was cocky uh, and uh, pure class. Um, best penalty taker, Letizia or Lambert? Uh, Letizia. Best in technique. Yeah. Uh, purely finishing technique, Matthew Letizia is the best I've seen. So uh, I know he, he missed the penalty, but um, he um, his finishing technique with both feet was... Um, 
yeah, never seen before. So, um, and that just proves that all the goals he scored from, um, oh, yeah. yeah, bloody 40 yards is unbelievable. <laughs> okay, best free kick taker, Latiz or James Will Prowse? Oh, uh, well, Prowse is getting close now, uh, to put it this way. They, uh, yeah, he's, he's getting close, but I think he, uh, I think I still have to go with Matt. I think I would too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so if you could pick your Saints five-a-side team for all the players that you played with, who would you pick? Oh, five-a-side. I uh, would have... Uh, of course, you've got to select yourself in this as well. Me and uh, uh, Matt. I would have uh, Berkovic, Totti, uh, for the banter. Marion Pahas. Oh, Pahas. Oh, what a player. Okay, we've got a couple of silly questions uh, for you. Uh, we... We ask all our guests this. Uh, would you rather be twice the height of Yannick Vestergaard or half the height of Carl Walker-Peters? So you've got <laughs> what? Four, four metres or what 84, 86 centimetres. What question is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be, uh, I'll be huge then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Another funny one. Uh, would you rather have a Saints tattoo on your forehead or a Portsmouth tattoo on your ass? Oh, that's a stupid question. I will have a Saints support on my head. Yeah. <laughs> that's the right answer. Uh, who I disliked? Yeah. No. 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 I, w- I will, um, I will uh, text it to you when I... Uh, Okay. <laughs> Wait, Alex Haas asks, um, yeah, what made you stick with Southampton for your career in English football? Why I stuck with Southampton? Yeah, I mean, you, you must have had offers come in from other clubs. Yeah, I had uh, two series offers from Benfica and Newcastle. Um, no, that was me as a person because I, uh, yeah, I think loyalty and sort of be a one club player. Uh, it's important. I think for me, um, that's one of the sort of, I, I can understand the players moving around to earn the most money. Uh, but for me, I think uh, there's different values uh, of being um, a one team player. I think uh, you hardly see that these days and I think the respect you get and the sort of I, I, I love truly Southampton for for the club it is and the supporters for who they are and that's that means a lot to me and then to to move around and, and uh, yeah you don't don't see too many club players anymore um, no. so um, we had a few in your time with um, Letiz and, and yeah uh, we had a string of testimonials with Franny and uh, yeah and Matt and uh, and Dodsey. Um, so, but that's very uh, rare today. Uh, can I so, just say uh, that you made the right decision? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, Mark Griffiths asks, um, which, which of your Saints colleagues would you least like to play against or like to have played against and why? Obviously, Matt, with the danger of making you look a fool and uh, scoring goals against you, so, uh, but Beats, James Beattie on his day was, was, uh, quite a handful. He was a very strong and, uh, honest peak. He was, uh, he was really good. So, um, and difficult to play against. So, uh, but I think for me in general to play against quick players who were smart in, in, uh, as well, uh, was the most difficult. So, Maybe a Marion Pahas as well was uh, would have been a nightmare to play against. It's got to be tough in training. Um, 
Uh, Kevin McGee, he does ask uh, who your favourite manager was to play under, but you've already answered that. But he does also uh, ask us to thank you for your years of service and say that you were great to watch. Thank you very much. Um, Tim Bazantz asks um, who the funniest teammate was. Funniest would uh, be Rich Dryden. Yeah. Uh, just call him Trigger. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, what, what was your favourite place to eat in Southampton? Ah, good one. Uh, the Chinese restaurant in High Street, the Harb, the Harbour, the yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's not there anymore, but that was my favourite Chinese in town. And when were you last in Southampton? It's now a couple of years ago. Maybe, maybe, maybe changes as we speak. Um, But (laughs) what about the changes in football since you've retired that maybe the fans don't see? The medical staff, I think the fitness staff, everything is taken care of today that uh, we didn't sort of have in the, in the degree they have it today. Everything, it's nothing left uh, left out to, uh, there's so much uh, technology today that uh, the players and everyone used that, uh, which is uh, which is great. Obviously, uh, but also, uh, maybe lose a little bit of, uh, what I dislike today is as a fan, you, you can't get close to your heroes. Can't get anywhere near them now. No, that's what, <laughs> uh, that's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, and that's, um, that's really sad. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got a last question here from Dan Fox. He says, uh, can you tell Klaus that, um, he lives in Burness, which is near, near the Crokenses church? Yeah. Um, if you don't um, know. That's, uh, that's true. That's where I moved back to, but I don't live there anymore. But, uh, okay. uh, uh, but I'm in the same city, yeah. Okay, um, he's, he asks, um, do, do you want to come around to his place to watch a Saints game with him? I, I could do, no problem. <laughs> and, and if so, what pizza topping do you like? Uh, needs to be uh, beef. Yeah! Beef! beef. Proper beef. <laughs> All right, you hear that, Dan? Get the beef in. Yeah. <laughs> right, I think that is it. Uh, Klaus, uh, we, we can't thank you enough for your valuable time, you know, being so open and, and honest with us. You're an absolute treasure to our city and our club, and your loyalty can't be matched. I, and I just want you to know how much we all appreciate you. You're, you're a legend, you're a true saint, um, and you've given us this interview, which we'll both never forget so yeah thank you just doesn't seem enough talk well thank you very much i'm humble for giving you this interview and uh, i think uh, yeah i'm very very glad and uh, happy to uh, to have uh, spoken to you and uh, given this interview so uh, yeah thank you it's been uh, it's been a pleasure fantastic Wonderful. Uh, thanks, Klaus. No problem, guys. No problem. It's been a pleasure. It's definitely, yeah, definitely our pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for letting me on. Yeah, have a great rest of the evening, and um, hopefully, yeah, we've got a good match to watch at the weekend. It's only Chelsea. Yeah, only yeah, Chelsea. Yeah. It's only Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> well, brilliant. Thanks ha- very much, guys. Thank you, Klaus. And, uh, All right. Have a nice evening, and uh, yeah, hopefully, we'll speak soon. Podcast Network.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.